I want to thank Taryn Hyatt for joining us this week on uh, the Live It podcast. Our subject this week is a little heavy for me, and it's one that I've been looking forward to doing and fearing at the same time, and it's on suicide prevention. And that's a very that's a subject that's very near and dear and close to my heart because our family lost our oldest daughter to suicide. And uh, it's very hard to to uh, to talk about, let alone think about. So Taryn, thank you for joining. Taryn is the area director for the AFSP, which is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So Taryn, thank you for joining today. Thank you for having me. So I apologize in, in advance for being my blubbering. But, no apologies uh, necessary. Yeah. I get it. So perhaps you can enlighten us and tell us a little bit about uh, the AFSP and, and its mission and objectives. Absolutely. So the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention was founded a little over 30 years ago by lost survivors like yourself, like me, who wanted to understand that question of why, right? Why did our loved one die? What could we have done? What can be done? And they also joined with researchers to help better understand this leading cause of death. And so the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention has been engaged in this work for over 30 years to, one, support people who've lost loved ones to suicide, to continue to fund the needed research that helps us better understand this leading cause of death. We do a lot of advocacy efforts, both at a local level and a federal level, again, to create meaningful legislation and change, and then educate our community so that we can know what to watch out for, you know, how to support somebody who might be struggling, and how to encourage people who need to get help where they can go and what those resources are. How is it that you became associated with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention? You know, like you, I, I had suicide touch my life in a very personal way. Uh, 20 years ago this year, we we lost our dad to suicide. And when his, his death occurred, I found myself just in this place that I never dreamt I would be. And and our experience was, was like others, right? We, we knew it was going to happen. I, I hate to say that, but we did. We just didn't know how to stop it. Um, he had he'd attempted multiple times. He had struggled for a long time. And so when he did die, I just found myself searching for resources and came across the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and dove in headfirst to see whatever I could do to, to help another family not have to experience what we did, or at least be able to walk them through the, the mess and, and grief that is suicide. I'm asking for my just for me here, but have you found it healing and helpful to be involved? Absolutely. You know, I'm one of those that's a doer and I had to do something with all that hurt because otherwise it would have eaten me alive. So yeah, it hasn't gotten better. It's gotten different. It's gotten different. Yeah. I can relate with that. Not getting better, but getting different. Yeah. How has the AFSB changed since you joined 20 years ago? I think when we talked earlier you mentioned that only recently did it receive funding in all 50 states, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like you've seen a lot of growth in the organization. Oh, absolutely. You know, when I came to AFSP back in 2002, um, we didn't even have chapters in all 50 states, right? Utah was one that had nothing at the time. There was one support group and it was up in Layton. It still actually ran today by Don and Judy Bozowski who lost their son to suicide. Wow. So 27 years later, right, their group is still in existence. But again, it was in Layton. I lived in Utah 
Wichita County. There was no way I was driving up there. And so, you know, now we have support groups across our state. You know, there are people who like us are coming out and talking more openly about their loved one and, and that experience of losing somebody. You know, back then we didn't hear from people who had struggled with thoughts of suicide or had attempted. It was really just families who'd lost loved ones. And now folks with lived experience are sharing their stories and their experiences. So we've definitely seen the light, you know, shine a little brighter. It's, it's coming out of the darkness, but there's still so much stigma that people experience who've been affected by suicide. And that's what we have to continue to change so people can get help. Well, thanks. And that's, that's at least I think our objective, certainly mine mm -hmm. for, for this podcast and this discussion is to talk about how some good can be done. Absolutely. And specifically, I'm hoping we can discuss how good can be done for people who are struggling um, with thoughts of, of suicide. Um, and I'm, I'm curious how good can be done for survivors like you and Fry who need help. Yeah. And also how good can be done by um, friends and just just people who may be aware of people who are struggling of, with, with, with thoughts of suicide or have friends who are survivors. And how about businesses? And I know this is something I hope we get into later, but yeah. what can businesses do for their employees? And what about universities? Because as we sit, we're, we're in the middle of two universities that mm -hmm. have 30 to 50,000 students. And there's a lot of them here in Utah, but across the country. Um, my understanding is that the age group of college kids is a high demographic for for suicide risk. Yeah, and suicide's it's the second leading cause of death for college students. So it's a huge opportunity for universities to take part and play a role in preventing suicide. Wow. Well, I guess we'll start with um, people who are who are struggling in their own minds. What what does the AFSB have for them? Yeah, I think the first thing is to recognize that suicide is a health issue. Okay, so if it's a health issue, that means if I'm currently thinking about suicide or have thoughts about ending my life, I need to take them seriously and I need to ask for help. The same way I would if my leg was broken, I would go see my doctor. Well, if your brain is broken right now and it needs support, reach out. We need to get you help and support and help is available. And so when we address suicide as the health issue that it is, it takes away some of that stigma and fear right? For, for getting help. And so we want you to know that if you're struggling right now, that you matter, that, that things can again, get different. Nobody's going to promise you it gets better because sometimes life is hard and we don't maybe see a way through the things that we're going through. So don't do it by yourself. You know, let us in, let it, let people who love you support you and, and try to work through this with you. Um, so tell somebody, that's the first thing, tell somebody. That's great advice. So go talk to someone. Who would you recommend talking to? A friend, a family member, a professional, or, yeah. or just start for starters, anyone? I think for starters, anyone. Find somebody you trust. Find somebody that you know you can be honest with that that's where you where you're at. You know, I was someone who who struggled with thoughts and feelings and I've attempted suicide. So I know how how vulnerable that can feel to actually say to somebody. Like I'm thinking about killing myself because we're worried about their reaction. We're worried about what their response is going to be. And, and most of the times we already feel like we're such a burden and a screw up anyway that, that we think we're only going to add to their pain when we know, you know, that, that we're not. Because as you probably well know, like I know, I wish I had known my dad was really in that place that night. I would have gone. I would have sat with him. I would have done anything um, to help him. But, but we didn't get that chance because he didn't tell us. 
So give your loved ones that chance. And you know what? They may do it wrong. They may screw up and say something wrong. If that's the case, then find someone else. Tell as many people as you have to till someone takes you serious and that you get the help and support that you deserve. Well, I appreciate that. That's really good counsel. You're, and Terry, you're not the first person that I've known that said that they've had thoughts or made mm -hmm. attempts and and still here you are. And I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're glad that those attempts weren't successful yep. and that you've you've arrived at a different place. I didn't say that everything's better, yep. but you've arrived at a, at a different place. What message of hope do you have for people who say, yeah, but I'm, it's always going to be the same? Yeah. Well, and again, I know that's how our brain feels. What's important to understand too is that most people who go on to die from suicide at the time of death had a diagnosable mental health condition. And most often it was depression. And depression is a thief, right? Depression is that lie that, that tells us that it won't get better, that nothing will change. And so again, giving people an opportunity to come and help you, giving doctors a chance to maybe work with your brain, to maybe get on a medication that can help to shift some of that that brain, you know, thinking pattern, having a therapist or somebody who can maybe work through what some of those stressors are that are causing you to feel overwhelmed. You know, again, there's no one size fits all. There could be a multitude of things that you might need to, to get through this moment in time. But again, if we don't try, how do we know? And, and as you can probably relate to, I know I feel that way, is, is suicide robbed us of that chance of getting to help our dad. Um, it robbed him of the chance of getting to get through whatever it was that felt so unbearable at the time. But again, we can't do it alone. And so letting somebody in gives us the chance to try to find a way through. Yeah, and I, I, I can see people out there who are struggling with those kind of thoughts saying to themselves, yes. But my situation's different. Mm -hmm. And I hear Taryn and I hear Jason talking, but they don't understand me. And and I'm secure in my belief that my situation is different. To which my response, and I'm speaking in ignorance yeah. to that, would be, yeah, your situation is different because every situation is different. Like every single one is going to be different. And there's no way anyone will completely understand where you're coming from or what the struggle is. But there's power to be found in there are solutions for everyone. Mm -hmm. And those solutions are going to be different, just like your situation is different. So if we're going to acknowledge that someone doesn't understand me and my situation is different, then let's also acknowledge that it may take a little bit to, to help you get to a better place. That there's not one pill yeah. that's going to solve all the problems because as you point out, the problems are different. Absolutely. But if we keep trying that... That will that I believe that everyone can find a better place, absolutely, and a better path. And some, and a lot of times, that's going to involve medication, counseling. But I know so many people like you, Taryn, who were beyond having no hope, who dare I say are happy. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean healed; everything's gone. But they're happy to be alive, and they're happy, and they're really happy that their attempts were unsuccessful. Absolutely. You know, I, I share it all the time. I, I, I tattooed my children's names on my wrists, right? And, and it was part of a reminder to me that what I would have missed, you know, what I would have missed had I died all those times I tried. And, and for some of us, that's the hardest part. You know, like right now I'm missing my dad being here and getting to see that my 
kids have kids now and and those things and then you know i know for you it's when we see you know milestones that other people reach you know we go gosh i wish my loved one was here to to experience those milestones and so again you know giving us a chance yes your situation is different but that's the lie of depression the lie of depression would have us believe that nobody would get it when i promise you if we all threw our stuff in the middle of a room we at least have more in common than we do different and while yeah our struggles may not look exactly the same there's a similar theme, you know, it's that hopelessness. So we have to find ways that we can help each other find that hope when we don't see it for ourselves. Yes. Uh, in, the, in the same way that people may feel hopeless and isolated, I really believe there is a path to a better place for everyone. That anyone listening right now or anyone who's having those thoughts, I believe that every single person, there is a path to finding a better place and a way out. Uh, I have a brother who uh, attempted to take his own life and and had just serious depression where he thought about it for probably 20 years. Mm-hmm. And there's we had many conversations and there was no way I could convince him that he would ever be happy or that he wouldn't wish for his life not to be mm-hmm. for 20 years. Yeah. And then he, he found a path and it was his path. And it wasn't the path that other people I know found, but he found his path and he was... He, he expressed on a monthly basis how happy he was that he didn't give up yeah. and spent time trying to help others, you know, when he could. Yeah. So I just, just want to share that there's that message of hope. Absolutely. So don't give up. Yeah. If you're struggling, don't give up. Absolutely. So for those of us who have a loved one or a friend or someone that we care about that we can see is struggling with thoughts of suicide, depression. Yeah. What, what what do we do? You know, the best thing to do is just to have a really open and honest conversation that says, hey, name it, name what it is you're seeing. Okay. If, if it's an event that has taken place, it's just, if it's a behavior, name it. Say, I see you doing this. And I'm curious if what I'm seeing has anything to do with you feeling like taking your life. We have to be willing to ask the question because the the challenge has been for so long, we have said to people who are suicidal, reach out, reach out, like I've said, right? Reach out. But again, there's a fear of, well, what happens if I do? So by us as the loved ones or caregivers saying, hey, I see you and I'm wondering if you're thinking or, or feeling suicidal, you know, tell me. And then be willing to hear it. You know, I think the thing for a lot of us is we feel like we have to be able to fix it. And and the challenge is, is that we most likely can't. We can't fix whatever has them there. But again, we can love them and be there and encourage them to get support. But the people who are contemplating suicide also have to want to get help. And that's hard because sometimes when we're sick, we don't want it. And we don't see that we need it. So we might push it away and, and avoid it. And unfortunately, that's when it can become deadly. So again, recognizing that I only have so much power as somebody who loves somebody. I, I can want them to get help. I can encourage them. But at the end of the day, the person has to want to take some initiative and, and engage in that support too. So what I'm hearing you say is proactively engage the person mm-hmm. and try to open up an honest conversation. Yeah. And then again, guide them to where support lives. So right now there's a new National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It rolled out in in July to a three-digit number. So you can call 988. 
988 is available nationwide, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You get a free, okay, free counselor. It is always a trained mental health professional that answers those calls. It's amazing. Yeah, that can give you, again, support. Again, it's free. It's anonymous. You can vent. You can share. You can you can disclose what's happening. We know that about 90% of people who call into the lifeline, their crisis is resolved just by talking. Wow. Sometimes people need extra support. And if yeah. that's the case, we have what, what, what are called mobile crisis teams, people who can come to you. And, and there's also what we call now receiving centers. These are like a mental health ER where you can go if you don't feel safe. And again, be in a place, not in a gown, not in the emergency room, right? But you can be in a place where you can talk with a therapist, you can talk with a peer support. And again, share what's happening so that we can start to find uh, solutions, right? To getting you the help and support that you need. Thank you. So if I have a friend that mm -hmm. I feel is in need and I engage in a conversation, how do I find out about these resources that you're talking about? Like, what is the phone number? Yeah. So call 988. And again, the beautiful part is you don't have to be suicidal to call 988. If you're worried about somebody, call. They'll walk you through how to ask, what supports are available, what to do next. Um, again, this is a free resource that's available 24 hours a day for anyone. So 988. You can even text it if you prefer not to, to actually make a phone call. And then we're also fortunate in Utah, we have an app called the Safe UT app app. So if you just download Safe UT to your phone, you can also chat live with crisis counselors, reach out for additional support. We're starting to roll this out, not just to junior highs and high schools, but colleges and, and workplaces are starting to embrace this as well. So that again, there's an extra resource for people who need help. So on my mobile phone, mm -hmm. I would just dial 988, yep. kind of like 911. Absolutely. But it's the 988 for suicide yep. uh, prevention. And then just hit Hit send, hit send text or whatever yep. and then and then that'll connect me where I need to be connected. Yeah. And so if you call from there, the calls are routed based on your area code. So if you're yeah. calling from a Utah area code, you're routed up to Huntsman Mental Health Institute. So again, it's somebody local. But you know, a great example is the other day I had a friend in crisis in Minnesota. Well, I don't know where Minnesota's crisis stuff is. So all I did is I dialed 988 and I said, hey, I need help. My friend's in Minnesota. This is where she's at. They routed me to the Minnesota Crisis Center. We're able to get support and resources out to her immediately. That's wonderful. So it's a wonderful network nationwide that can help assist people. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And in Utah, you said the app was Safe UT. Yep. S A F E UT. UT. Yep. And you can download that from Apple, Android, right to your phone, and again be able to chat live with crisis counselors. Wow. From that, you can from chat that. live. Yep. Would that be to to be able to chat live both for people who are struggling with thoughts, but also someone maybe who's concerned? Yes. And just says, I don't know what to do. Who do I talk to? Can they use that app also? Absolutely. To, to get advice. And the way that this has been really useful for, for teenagers and, and younger people is they can also report tips. So you can report an anonymous tip if you're worried about somebody in your school or if a friend has disclosed something you don't know what else to do. Parents can use it. Again, we've started rolling it out into higher ed because we know that college students, as we've already touched on, um, you know, have a higher risk and, and rate of suicide. So this is an opportunity for them to access services, you know, because always on campus, we know there's not always the opportunity to get in as quickly as we maybe need to, to the counseling center. So this is a chance that you could still um, reach out and be connected immediately to support when you need it. Great. Thank you. So I mentioned I'm a survivor and, and my brother did not take his own life. Yeah. So as I mentioned, he he turned the corner and ended up uh, being happily engaged and, and very, very happy yeah. on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, my daughter, that was not the case. So our eldest daughter took her own life just just under two years ago yeah. in 
in the holiday season. And I'm so sorry for your loss. And I appreciate that you're willing to share her experience with us today. So thank you. So my daughter, Jessica, is our was our oldest child. And uh, she struggled with depression for some time. And when she... When, um, when she died by suicide, um, I described it then and I still describe it now. It was like a grenade went off in my soul. Yeah. And um, I felt like both for me and for my family, my wife and our kids and our other loved ones, it was, uh, it was something that could not be prepared for or understood. And still that's the case. And um, the the depth of the loss and of the pain is for me. It was uh, I always imagined it'd be worse than anything I could think of, mm -hmm. and I'll just be honest, it's worse. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and like you said, the the pain doesn't go away. You just learn how to live with it and try to come up with a way to move forward. The first thing I would say. Is for people who are contemplating and listening to the lie that their family members or loved ones will be will be better off without them. I promise that's not true. So that is not true. So loved one, your loved ones are for sure uh, not going to be better off after the after a, a, a death by suicide. One of the other things that that I've struggled with and I've read and talked with other survivors and found that I'm not alone is a lot of the things that well-intended people want to say to help you are not very helpful and and um, sometimes can be really hurt, hurtful mm -hmm. that having had other close family members pass away and die in different ways, a death by suicide is a unique, painful thing. And when people come and and do comparisons a lot of times that's not very helpful or or try to say things that are comforting like you couldn't have done anything more yeah. it's like being stabbed with a sword yep. uh the guilt the survivors feel is um immeasurable what uh what resources or what do you have for survivors like us you and i yeah. and our family at the afsb yeah, you know, and thank you for sharing that. And again, I think this is a, a, like you mentioned, this is a unique form of grief, right? This is the only death. And really, that's true. It's the only death that we as the person left behind attach this personal accountability, responsibility. You know, we don't say when our loved one dies of cancer, oh, if I could have, should have, would have, or if I had called, you know, we just don't do that. And so being mindful that when we interact with individuals who've lost loved ones, that there is that element there and present. And again, nothing you say is going to take that away. That's something we have to work through in our own process. So something that AFSP has that I love is we have a peer-to-peer -peer program called Healing Conversations, where folks can request a visit from somebody else who's lost a loved one. You know, and not just lost a loved one, but a loved one to suicide and, and a specific loss. Like we try to pair parents up with other parents who've lost kids. You know, I work with a lot of youth who've lost parents, um, siblings, right? Because that's a unique grief experience. You know, I have several families I've worked with who've lost multiple children. And, and so the siblings really are grappling with, you know, gosh, I've, I've not just lost one brother, but maybe two. And so how does that work? And so we wow. really try to come together and, and, and again, focus on supporting that family. Um, you know, 
our experience was very different 20 years ago, and I'm glad to see it's changing where people are coming now. You know, I always joked that nobody brought the creepy green jello with the carrots in it, you know, and thank goodness because it's gross. But, you know, it would have been nice. But right. again, they didn't avoid us because they didn't care. They just didn't know what to say. Yes. And then you're right. Those platitudes often that, that people offer, you know, everything happens for a reason. And, you know, again, just say, I'm sorry. Yes. Just say, I'm sorry for your loss. You know, this sucks. And, and let it be at that because there's nothing you can say to make it different or, or better for us. And just allow us to be messy and, and feel crappy because it does. You know, it does feel like that, that grenade and, and it did blow up our lives and we don't know how to put it back together. And, and it's not going to go back together in a nice, neat little package and be pretty. And so allowing people that space to be messy is so important. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, again, we have great resources on our website. You can just go to AFSP.org. There's an entire section. In fact, there's a booklet that I got years ago, 20 years ago to be exact, called Surviving a Suicide Loss. And we now have it available in a digital flipbook on our site. And I, for me, just to read through that, let me know, like we talked earlier, like, oh my gosh, other people feel this way. Yeah. I always used to say it was like somebody ripped off my arm and was like, okay, now go. And I'm going, but wait, don't you see my arm's gone? Yes. I can't. What do you mean go? Nothing I did was ever the same. Yeah. You know, I everything I did was, was different, you know? And yeah. so helping people understand that. Yeah. So for people who are listening, if you're, if you've had friends who've, who've had a loved one who was lost to a death by suicide, I agree with you that the best thing to say for me is we love you, we support you, and no matter what your past experience is, there's no way I can understand what you're going through. Yeah. That's a great starting point. Uh, the attempts at empathy usually are not not very they, – they can really be hurtful sometimes. Yeah. And at least for me, I've had some friends that have come and said, gosh, I don't know what to do. Can we talk about Jessica? And – I don't want to talk for other suicide survivors, but I think that's a great question to ask. Absolutely. And my answer is yes, I love talking about my daughter. Yep. Yep. And I feel the same way. I love when people will share memories with me or funny stories about my dad or, you know, something that he did. I mean, that was something when he died that I love that folks did is, you know, they wrote down memories and we got to have those, you know, because those were things I didn't even know about. And I still want to talk about him. I always ask folks, you know, too, on their angel days, you know, the days that they they left us, you know, I go and do something fun that reminds me of my dad. And, and I invite people to share with me, what did you, you know, your loved one love? What's a favorite drink or a treat? Because I'm going to eat that in their honor today. So, you know, I do think it's important that we get to remember them. We should remember them the same way everybody else remembers their lost loved one. It doesn't matter how they left this earth. The fact is that they were on this earth and they lived. And that's what we want to honor and remember. Yes. I love it. I have a couple of friends. I have a couple of friends who every once in a while will send me just an old picture or a recording of my daughter or some memory they had of them and just say, gosh, I miss Jessica. And I love it. Yep. So I think it's okay to ask their survivors if that's welcome. But I think for a lot of us who I've talked to, it's very welcome. Yeah, we like definitely. we like hearing and celebrating and remembering. 
Yep, absolutely. So give us that. And that's what I love too. So coming up on November 19th, you know, AFSP has what we call International Survivor of Suicide Loss Day. And this is a day that's dedicated to us, the survivor, right? It's for us to figure out, okay, where am I at this year in my grief journey? And what does it look like? And and what do I want to do to honor my loved one? What do I want to do to honor my own space? And and so people come together all across the world and we we get a day to just honor that experience. And so again, I'm I'm grateful. I love that day because yeah. I love being around other survivors who I can learn from. Yeah. Or sometimes I go, oh yeah, maybe I don't want to do what you're doing because it doesn't seem to be working, and that's okay too, right? And finding and, and no judgment to, if it is exactly working. exactly. So if some if someone's doing something that they that they think is working mm-hmm. for them, then Let go it for it. Yeah. By Let definition, it it's good and and support. It doesn't mean yep. everyone has to think nope. that that's good, but no one needs to feel guilty because of how they choose to honor. Amen. There's there's enough guilt yep. for the survivors. Yep. There's no reason to, to yep. add anymore. I mean, another piece of advice I think I would have for people who, who've, who've been touched by suicide for the survivors is not to just ignore it. Yeah. So oftentimes people don't know what to say. And so, and so they will say nothing. Yeah. And after a while, when you've lost a loved one, uh, to have, People who are really close and near and dear to you a month, three months, six months, like say nothing. Mm-hmm. And then a year later, come engage in a conversation. It's 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 weird of not knowing how to engage with that. Absolutely. Saying you couldn't, my daughter died. Yeah. And you said nothing. Yeah. It's been a year and now you're asking me about tennis. Yeah. And so, and, and, and that evokes a response that I can't control. Like it mm-hmm. just is, it's just, uh, Again, we want to we want to talk to our friends, if nothing else, just to hear, we love you. Yeah. We're here for you. And couldn't imagine what that was like. Uh, you know, I've had a couple of friends come to me and say, um, really early on after Jessica passed away, say, hey, what advice would you have, would you give me, you know, if mm-hmm. I, my, my kid's struggling? As for me, it was a hard thing to hear. So what totally. do you mean, what advice would I have? My daughter just took, took her own life. It just, uh, it brought on a lot of feelings of guilt and saying like, mm-hmm. am I not the least qualified person I know. to ask this question to of, of everyone that you know? And so maybe not so many questions about that that are yeah. helpful because we're still trying to figure out what happened Absolutely. and feeling guilty about it. And so, uh, um, Again, I would recommend that people definitely engage with your with friends who are su- who are survivors of suicide, just with feelings of love. Yeah. Would you like? Can, would you like to talk? Or is it okay if I talk about Jessica and share memories? And I found that to be, at least for me, some of those healing moments. Yeah, and I love what you just shared. Right, it's that asking permission. Yeah. If you don't know what they need, ask. Right, ask. Can I bring food? Can I do this? What What can I do to help? And 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 then again, we as the lost survivor too have to be willing to say what we need. Yeah. And it's okay to say what we need. So yeah. I, I appreciate that. I think a lot of us, especially that come from various faiths, mm-hmm. tend to say, "Well, I'm going to go in with this message because it's a faith based message. This is going to be helpful, and so I'm going to go." tell them how their loved one is, or I'm gonna go tell them how they should be happy or mm-hmm. tell them why it's okay or good or better. And um, at least for me, like I would respectfully say, please don't do that. Absolutely. And and it's better to ask that permission and, mm-hmm. and if, you, if they wanna hear that type of stuff rather than just presume I have the solution for you. And so I'm gonna come, 
I'm going to come share that solution. Yeah, there's a, a great there's woman. There's arrogance about that. Emily McDowell wrote, wrote a great book, and it was all all the stupid things to not say, and and I have my own list too. Yeah. And so again, I think just being mindful, right? Yeah. That that for some people that isn't healing in that moment, you know, and and to ask. And that, that's where I want to be careful here is because we're saying there's all these things that could be hurtful. And I want to, I'm just concerned that people would listen to this podcast or listen and say, mm-hmm. oh, then I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. Th- that's not it. That no. there are things to say. And not, and not only that, it's really easy. Yeah. All I have to say is I love you and I'm with you. And there's I could never understand what you're going through, but I'm here if you want to talk. Yeah. Validation. And, validation, right? Yeah. And I think even if the friends are being not responsive, it's okay to follow up with a text or show up and just say, I don't mean to be presumptuous, but I just want to show up and say, I love you. And um, just been thinking about you. Yeah. And then to ask about if it's okay to, I would definitely recommend asking if it's okay to talk about the, the person who passed away yeah. and say, is that welcome? Are pictures welcome? Are old memories that I can share? A lot of times that's healing because a lot of those friends are also struggling yeah. and it's healing for them, but they, they want to talk to you and it would actually be healthy for them, but they think, you don't want to hear it. It's going to be mm-hmm. too hard when that's exactly what many of us do want. And so I think that that people can kind of be edified jointly from being able to to talk about the memories of the of the loved one that's lost. Because yeah, then we get to share that experience, right? And that's how we get through grief, just like we were talking earlier. That's yeah. how we get through the hard times too, is with each other. So so sharing that experience, I love that. Would you mind sharing some statistics on suicide nationally, and then? And then perhaps even a little bit about the state and local level here in Utah. Absolutely. So, you know, suicide has been in the the top 10 leading causes of death for over the last three decades. Um, we, we've really kind of sat at number 10 and haven't made much progress until 2019. Utah? Uh, this or, is nationwide. Oh, nationwide, yeah, nationwide, the cause of death. And then we'll talk okay. about Utah. Yeah. But so nationwide, we, we've we sat in the top 10. Uh, 2019 was the first year we saw a decrease in the national suicide death rate. And then again, it was followed up in 2020 by another subsequent decrease. You know, in Utah, we were actually on year four of a decrease um, in our suicide death rates. And that's because there's been a collective effort for the last several years really looking at, you know, where do we need to focus our efforts and what more can we do to, again, get rid of stigma and get people to seek help. So in in 2020, that was the first time that suicide actually fell out of the top 10. Now, part of that was because COVID, right, took over and COVID was actually the third leading cause of death, moving suicide to number 12. Um, Suicide in Utah, that was the first time Utah was actually out of the top 10 in suicide death. You know, we've typically been um, in the, the top five nationwide, you know, us and every other surrounding Rocky Mountain state. And so we've really had to look at, you know, some of those things of why, right? Why is Utah consistent? Consistently higher, and and why is suicide you know kind of staying put where it's been, and why haven't we been able to move the needle? And so when we start to look at really some of those commonalities, you know what we know is Utah is one of like I mentioned several Rocky Mountain states. Our our neighboring states have high rates, so uh, Wyoming, Alaska, Idaho, Montana. Um, and when we start looking at why, it's a lot of common themes. We have a lot of rural communities, which means limited access to healthcare, to mental health care services. We have high gun ownership, and we have to be willing to talk about that. 
Um, having high gun ownership always equates to higher death by suicide and higher rates of homicide. That's just the way it is. So let's look at that. There's also been some studies that look at altitude. And we know University of Utah has done significant studies on, on that. And people who live in higher altitudes have a higher prevalence of depression. Um, there's something to be said about the lack of oxygen and what that does to our brain. But again, those things haven't changed, right? So we need to be looking at, at what more can be done. And something that's interesting is you look at suicide across the lifespan. You know, we talk about suicide being the second leading cause of death amongst college age students. Well, we also see suicide peak at points of transition. So we see it at age 15 to 16. It's typically when kids go from junior high to high school. We see it from high school to, to college. Again, we talk about college age kids. We see it around age 25. This is typically when college students are graduating, trying to figure out what they're going to do, where they're going to be. We see it again in middle age. We see it again on, you know, age 65, retirement and seniors. So knowing that, knowing that as I transition in my life to different periods, that increases my risk. We need to be mindful, right? We need to be mindful. And, you know, I had a, a daughter who attended um, Brigham Young University, one of our local, you know, colleges here and, and went there right out of high school. And in high school, she was that straight shooter, the straight A's, you know, top of the class, you know, student body, all the things. And then I remember she started college and, and wanted to move out and live on her own. And I'm kind of going, are you sure? And she wasn't even three months in before she came home one day. And all I had to do was look at her and I said, you're not okay. What is going on? You know, what is going on? And, and I could see the change in her, you know, she had some severe anxiety and depression. She hadn't been sleeping, right? Because when our brain gets sick, it manifests in our behavior. And, and she admitted she had been thinking and, and feeling suicidal because of the stress that she was under and, and not knowing where to get help and support and, and yeah. resources, you know, and thank God we had a good pediatrician who got us in and was able to see her. And, and we, we actually transferred her, you know, from that college to a small college and got her into a, a better space for her. But, you know, she's one of those, those kids that, that could have been a very different outcome. Yeah. You know, and, and I just, have to count my blessings that that she was able to tell me and that I was able to recognize where she was and that we were able to get her help, you know, because it could have very easily been one of my kids too. And so none of us are immune. I think that's what we have to remember too. None of us are immune. So we need to, again, look at ways that we can be helpful. And there's a lot of opportunity, you know, in our education system for, for folks to be more supportive and, and again, to increase capacity for our students when they are in crisis to be able to access services. I'd love to talk about that a little bit because as you know, my daughter Jessica also attended Brigham Young University and uh, here in Provo. Yeah. And I don't have anything to compare it with uh, her experience versus others, but being here, there's a lot of young people who are college mm -hmm. age that that I work with and, and in different capacities. And so I have my ear to the ground and I'm pretty familiar with things that people struggle with and where they do and do not have help. Yeah. And I certainly feel that the experience that we had with BYU was not a good one. Mm -hmm. And I don't wanna go into the, the specifics of that, at least not right now, Sure. but it wasn't just one person and it wasn't just a one-time event. So like working with the university at different levels through the process was alarming yeah. and concerning. And I say that to anyone who has children at BYU who have anxiety, 
And maybe anyone who has children who are college age, take a look at the college and see what's available. Absolutely. So I right now have people who who I work with who, because I'm at B- near BYU, they'll they'll go in and say that they need help and just be told we don't have anything for you or get in line and it's 90 days to have a conversation, mm-hmm. which doesn't go well, you know, with someone who's on the who's on the brink. Yep. And so I'm I'm curious. What work can be done at, with universities to help them address the risk of suicide being that the students of that age are highly susceptible? Yeah. So it, there's a lot of things we can do, right? And it starts with first the university being willing to acknowledge that mental health crises are, again, a huge risk for their student population. So you have to have access to crisis services and you have to have, uh, again, communication that says this is a priority of ours and we need to address it. You know, I've been engaged in suicide prevention efforts in our state for a long time. And I know BYU has absolutely taken you know strides to, to do things like QPR training, right? training people to understand risks, to identify when folks are in crisis, to refer them to help. But again, if we're referring at such a high rate that we don't have enough staffing to meet that need, then we've got to figure out a way to increase staffing. And, And so that's an area of opportunity. You know, we know that there's a provider shortage for sure. But then again, let's increase some of those peer support services. Let's make sure that all of our students know the crisis line, that we're promoting that, that we're promoting safe UT, that we're providing at least some else to get them help and support, you know, at a time when it's crucial. If we do have a a 90 day, you know, waiting list to get in, then again, we need to utilize our community and find other resources that can help to mitigate that. And so, you know, I'm not pretending that that they're not trying. Of course, they're trying. But again, if if we're not meeting the need, we got to keep working at it. Uh, My good friend is the director of crisis services at Utah Valley University, and I know she's on call and takes crisis calls, you know, on the daily. And so it's important that we be available. And again, that we look for solutions. We can't just throw our hands up and say, oh, we don't have anything. I don't go to an ER and have a heart attack. And they say, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have an appointment for, you know, three months. It's not how it works. So we have to be willing to take a good hard look at how do we change the system? Because obviously where we're at isn't working. Yeah. Well, I, I, this is very interesting to me. I also have a son that attends Utah Valley University, mm-hmm. and um, I have noticed there's a difference. So, yep. and I don't mean this is a negative thing toward BYU, but I'm saying this is a factual thing for a mm-hmm. voice for suicide prevention. Absolutely, that there is a there is a substantive difference between Utah Valley University and the other one, and and I mean that both as kudos to you, Utah Valley University, yeah. but I'm, I. I one of the things I like about Utah Valley University is they don't stand and say, hey, we're doing a great job, mm-hmm. at least the people I talk to, but they say, how can we do better and how can we help the students more? Yeah. And I know one of the students who had a an unfortunate thing happen recently that was kind of public and the university just immediately said, well, that, that person may be struggling. We need to be, we need to figure out how we can mm-hmm. help them. Yeah. And uh, it, it was, it was incredible. And, yeah. and, um, Sorry, what were, you, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, you know, and again, I, I attended Utah Valley University. It's where I got my bachelor's, where I'm going right now for my master's. And and yeah, they've got opportunity too, but you know, they've been dedicated. So, And here's why. They were one of the first recipients of the Garrett Lee Smith grant that gave them funding to be able to implement suicide prevention. And again, that came in response to having lost, you know, a student. And, and so they knew they needed to do something. They couldn't stand by and wait. And unfortunately, we have to acknowledge, and I'm the first 
first to acknowledge this. In Utah County and Provo specifically, we've had a really high um, cultural stigma that's been around suicide that we haven't wanted to talk as openly. And unfortunately, that leaves people not knowing where to get help. And so I'm, I'm glad to see in the last few years, BYU has rallied. Unfortunately, it has been due to a lot of, of deaths by suicide that, that have been very public and, and highlighting the need that we've got to do better. Um, but again, it starts with every single person on that campus being willing and aware, you know, and it takes a community effort. That's what Utah Valley University does well too. I believe, is because, again, they're they're teaching it in classes, right? There's new student orientation where we talk about where to get help and support. We teach, you know, mental health services and, and mental health courses to our, our students and, and help them to be eyes and ears for each other and know where to report somebody if they are struggling. So, again, there's always room for opportunity to yeah. grow and improve, but we got to be willing to do some of the hard stuff. And, and again, not just say, oh, we, we did this one class, that's it, you know, because... That's what a lot of us want to do. We want to say, hey, we, we, we did the bare minimum and we met it, but we got to go more than the bare minimum right now. Well, Tara and I agree completely. So as a business owner, there are things that law says you have mm -hmm. to post this. Maybe it has to do with a particular safety issue totally. and that, that are important things. That's why the law is saying to post it. Yep. And as an employer, if all I'm doing is posting it so I can say, oh, look, it was posted. It's just it's just in different issues. It is not enough, yep. and so really, this is just a matter of a matter of priority. Absolutely. And so, uh, it's if something's really important, then we're going to do it. If it's something that we value, we're going to do it. And I've always said, you don't have to, you don't have to wonder what people value, and don't listen to them very much, because it doesn't matter what they say, nope. but just watch what they actually do. And so. At some other point, I'll go into more detail about our experience with 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 Jessica, but you know she actually lost her life on BYU property. Yeah, and you know the BYU police were the second to arrive. The Provo police were the first, and BYU police had them leave for whatever reason. But we didn't see that it was reported, you know, anywhere. Yeah, and when we asked that it had be reported, can we please talk about this? Can we please let this be known throughout the university? And it just didn't happen. And we actually had friends that would reach out to the university and say, hey, is there a story I missed? Mm -hmm. And our friends told us the response was the, the the family requested that we not tell anyone and this is kept private, mm -hmm. which is the actual opposite, opposite of what the truth was. Yeah. Well, this wasn't nearly the most hurtful thing of the experience. Um, again, I'll, I'll share that at some other, uh, some other time. But it's a, it's a, it's a question of priority. So, and I'm not talking to just BYU. I'm talking mm -hmm. to every educational institution in the country. Absolutely. What is your priority to suicide prevention? And if we already know this is a problem and it's a rising problem to your students and we have your students' best interest in mind, what is your commitment level to them? And don't tell me about it. Yep. Show me. Show me. Yep. Show me. So what are the what are some of the suggestions that you would give to universities, all yeah, universities? Yeah. So again, I think it starts with training all of your staff, ensuring that staff are trained. And remember, this is not just mental health professionals. These are your professors. Because again, we know this is why we started doing suicide prevention in schools. Teachers see our students in a realm that we as parents will never see. They might write a paper. They might miss class. And I know in a college, it's tricky because they're of age. And so we don't always get the, the report, you know, but if it's 
a behavior that's concerning, that's where maybe we need to shift some of these laws that say, now nah, we don't tell parents. No, tell parents. <laughs> right. Because we've seen a lot of young people, you know, yeah. over the last year that have died by suicide in, in various colleges across our state that parents felt out of the loop. So if there's something concerning, you know, maybe it's time that we do involve parents and we change some of that, you know, procedure. Make sure that, again, we have and that our students know what crisis services are available on campus, where to access them, and that, again, they do have an opportunity to see somebody that day. We cannot right. say 30 days out, you know, 90 days out. That's just not acceptable in a crisis. And if that's the case, then you're sitting there with the person and you're dialing 988. You're getting them connected to somebody right away if you don't have capacity within your school setting to, to see them immediately. And so there's, there's simple things we can do. Connect with your local-based mental health, your community-based mental health org, and say, we're overwhelmed right now. Help us out. You yes. know, I'm sure there's folks that, that could come in and support. Heck, you've got grad students like myself who were in training. So let us help fill some of that role. If we can come in and be a peer support, you know, to some of the students to help alleviate some of that burden, you know, let's, let's utilize what resources we have because right. we do have some capacity to, to help meet those. Yeah. And if we're not doing it, it just isn't a priority. Mm -hmm. And let's just be honest with yeah. ourselves about that. Yep. Hey, if this is a problem, and we kind of know what the solution needs to be. We're understaffed, yep. require hiring more people. It would require this outreach to the community. We're not willing to do it. Then just be honest about that. Just yeah. say what it, what, what it takes, we're not willing to do. Yeah. It's not that high of a priority. Yeah. Or make it a higher priority and, do and, and show us yep. you know, through, 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 through action. Um, I think that it's a great point that you bring up about talking to faculty at universities. Mm -hmm. And I, I've hear stories a lot of, of faculty at, at different universities being informed that a student is struggling and they don't do anything. It's, it isn't even passed along. Mm -hmm. And I find that alarming. And I wonder if you went back to the university and they would say, well, it's posted over here in the faculty lounge. Sure. Or it was something they signed in a long list of things of here's what they do. But when we make it a priority, then we're able to say, we're going to make sure that faculty members know exactly what to do when they see a student who is struggling Absolutely. and that and that they and that they take action. Yeah. I mean, I think of Lauren McCluskey at the University of Utah, right? Mm -hmm. That was a very highly publicized story of of again a lack of campus safety. Yeah. And her parents have gone now university wide yeah. across the country saying take the pledge that if you see something, if you see somebody in the experience our daughter was in, say something. Well, the same thing is true here. If yes. you see somebody in a mental health crisis, Again, say something. We have to be these, these upstanders, meaning if we see it, we own it, we do something, not just think somebody else down the road may take care of it. Because what if nobody else does? You know, and so again, I think that's where we as humans also need to take initiative that says, I don't care whether it's a law or I'm required to by my, you know, faculty. If I recognize somebody's in crisis, I'm going to take an initiative to check in and just say, hey, how are you doing? Or, or communicate that so that we get people the help and support they need. Yeah, I just feel that, that too many people, it's like fleeing the scene mm -hmm. of an accident. Yep. It's a crisis and so they, they yep. see it and they just wanna, yeah, like walk away and say this, I don't wanna have much to, yeah. much to do with this. And yeah. so, and, and again, a lot of people who I know they're having this trouble right here at BYU. Absolutely. To where they're expressing a clear and present problem and then no nothing happens. And I know that if I asked the university official, that's they'd tell me all the things that they're doing that are right and mm -hmm. that it's okay and, and it's good. And and I'd applaud all those things and say, great, well, how, what can we do better? Yep. And and then say the same thing to every other educational 
every other educational institution. These are our kids. And for those who have parents and grandparents and family members, and you have loved ones who go to college, demand more. So it's going to be the voice of the masses that comes in and says, this is not okay. So if we can't have university officials who get this right, then we need new university officials. That, That when we make it a priority, then we do what's necessary to take action. Now, speaking of um, Utah County and Utah in general, I'm 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 concerned and would like to discuss what we know about statistics between the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. and and suicide. Yeah, so this is always a, a really delicate topic and one that we have to be mindful of, you know. And and I wish I could give you concrete, like this is who we know and this is the number of of LGBTQ youth, adults, you know, who are dying. But the challenge has been that we do not collect sexual orientation or gender identity data on a death certificate. Yeah. So the the best we have is from people who are still alive that can self report, and those numbers are staggering. We know that three out of four Four LGBTQ youth have considered or attempted suicide. We know that, you know, again, if just one, one youth or had, you know, excuse me, an LGBTQ youth had just one adult that they felt supported them, had their back, you know, loved them, that that mitigates suicide risk. But what's been fortunate in our state is we did identify this need that we had to get better data. So the legislature um, funded a position at the medical examiner's office. And right now, Dr. Michael Staley has been working on a youth suicide um, survey where they have gone back through death data from 2017 to current and have interviewed friends and family members to try to get, again, better understanding of who did we lose and if they were members of the LGBTQ community, you know, because we want to know so that we can, again, be better. So they're getting ready to release that data, and I don't think any of us will be surprised to learn that there probably are going to be a a higher proportion of of the kids that we lost and, and the youth that we lost who identified as LGBT. And so what that means for us is that we need to, again, take note. You know, the challenge that continues to happen in our state, and it's going to happen again in a few weeks when our legislative session starts, is we are going to have bills that target and call out our LGBTQ kids. You know, we worked hard a few years ago to ban the practice of conversion therapy. Um, as a discredited, we already know that it is it is known by every major medical association that it does not work. It only causes harm. Yet we had politicians and, and folks who wanted to continue that practice in our state. You know, thankfully, Governor Herbert saw fit that we, we eliminated that practice through the Division of Occupation and Professional Licensing. But now we're targeting trans youth and not allowing them to play sports, right? We're targeting trans youth not being able to get health care. Um, we need to be mindful of the message that sends. That says that we don't see you, we don't value you, and you're not welcome here. And I want any LGBTQ youth that is hearing this to know that you belong in Utah. You do not have to flee our state. The fact that we have kids in Texas having to flee that state because they're not accepted, no, let's not be that. Utah is not that. We love and accept. Again, you have your beliefs, you do your thing, but it doesn't mean you can't show genuine care and compassion for the human being that's sitting in front of you. And that's what we have to do a better job at. Well, well said. Yes, and for the LGBTQ people who are listening, also, there's a path. So if you're struggling... There is a wonderful path of happiness for you. Absolutely. And you're an amazing, wonderful person with a rich, loving life. Yeah. You know, I have a dear cousin and and he wouldn't be sad at all that I'm saying this. But, you know, my cousin came out and I found out after. Um, 
one, that he was gay, but two, that he had also endured conversion therapy and said, thank you for fighting that fight. You know, and little did I know somebody I love dearly, you know, was seeing that, that I took a stand on that. So again, if you don't think it matters, it matters. You never know who's watching, you know, again, what you're saying or your actions for good or bad. Right. Yeah. And so act in a way that lets people know, you know, my value, I can tell you all day long, I'm an ally, but my behavior supports that Yeah. because I want our LGBTQ youth and adults to know that, yeah, you, you matter here and, and we will help you find a place. And there's a path to happiness, yep, Gen genuine happiness genuine. to where if you're seeing darkness right now, your future really does have a yep. path to where you'll say, I am really glad that I hung around and yeah. my life is rich and meaningful. And I, I really, really believe that. I do too. Like completely. I do too. What about businesses? So people like like me and other business owners, what can we do to be more mindful and aware and make uh, suicide prevention a priority? I love that you asked that because we really have seen this start to kind of take off, especially since the pandemic began, because employers started to notice that their work, you know, places and their employees, mental health was suffering. And let's be honest, it always has been there. We just really got a, a spotlight shown on it during the pandemic. And so inviting folks like us to come in and do training for your staff. You know, again, we want everyone in our community to be aware and alert to the fact that suicide could be present because you never know who you're going to come across that might be in that place that you could be helpful to. So by doing trainings, like we just talked for colleges, train your workplace, train your employees. Um, there's a wonderful training called Mental Health First Aid, and I wish that everybody in our world would take it. But even if you take it as um, HR or, you know, employers to understand how to recognize when people are starting to uh, display those, those signs and symptoms of a, a mental health crisis. So that again, we get people support before it gets to the place of considering suicide. And so there's wonderful programs out there. Normalize it, right? Normalize the discussion that, hey, if you're not feeling so good today, you don't have to fake sick. Take a mental health day. I work for a suicide Suicide prevention organization, and we only got mental health days three years ago, right? And I thought, well, there you go. You know, I don't have to call out sick and pretend I don't feel good if I just need a day to catch up. So when we make mental health a priority in our workplaces, as well as our college campuses and in our families and our homes, again, that's how collectively we come together to fight suicide. What was the name of the program that I should have, that yeah. I should watch and everyone watch? These no, it's fantastic. good. It's called Mental Health First Aid. Mental Health yeah. First Aid. How do I find it? So again, if you just go to, um, you could just Google Mental Health First Aid and find trainings. I happen to be a trainer, so I could hook you up. All right. Um, but there are wonderful trainings that people can take. And again, um, we offer them through AFSP as community-based training and education. And it's a wonderful course to be certified. We call it a Mental Health First Aider. So just like you would be trained to know CPR, this gives you the tips and tools to be able to administer first aid in those um, kind of immediate moments that somebody might be experiencing a crisis. How do I help the AFSP? So one of the ways we came into contact yeah. is, is my family wants to be a part because we found all the wonderful things that you're doing and we feel that it is an organization for good that's making a significant difference and we want to donate time, talent, money, all of it yeah. in to help the organization. People listening, how can they help? Yeah, the best way to help is visit AFSP.org. Um, we have an advocate program, so you can sign up to become an advocate so that you, like me, could lend your voice to our legislators. Share your stories. Our legislators need to hear from us how suicide and mental health has impacted our lives so that they can fund the programs we desperately need. You know, our, our 
again, universities, right? Education systems need funding to be able to implement programs. So help us advocate for that. You know, you can donate money to our organization. The, the money that we raise through our walks, through our events that we do each year, help us to fund research, help us to create the programs that we offer back in our community. And if you're a survivor of loss and you're, you're more than two years outside from your loss, we can train you to become one of our healing conversation trained peers so that you can give back what was hopefully given to you. You know, I, I didn't have that person to come sit with me. And so I'm so grateful that now I can sit with other people in that moment. And then they end up getting trained so that when somebody else needs them, they can show up and be there in that, that dark night of the soul. And so, you know, there's a lot of opportunity. You can train, right? We can teach you to facilitate trainings and programs too. But AFSP.org, if you do a slash Utah, that takes you right to our page where you can learn what events we have coming up, ways to get involved and volunteer. Um, but yeah, we'll take any any help we can get, whether that's your time, your talent, and of course, funds always help to, to provide more research and education. Taryn, thank you for being here today. And thanks for all the wisdom and happy thoughts that you shared. Thank you for the training and thanks for all the good that you're doing here in our communities and to people who need the help. You're making a difference. Well, so are you, my friend. Thank you for sharing Jessica with all of us. It's an honor to do it. And it's an honor to stand with you and with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And just in closing the message of hope for those who are survivors who are listening and those who are having dark thoughts, there are happy days ahead. And yes, your situation is unique and it's different and it's sad and it's hurtful. It's painful in ways that, that nobody is going to understand. But there are also happy days ahead. There is a path. Amen.